Welcome to the Wealth Edit Podcast, a place where talking about finances is only polite. We talk to women and hear the stories behind how they've built their beautiful lives, whether that be inside or outside the home. I'm Emily Laster, and on this show, I get the opportunity to share a little bit about my own personal journey of losing my husband and the financial decisions that often follow the death of a spouse. Today, we're really excited. This is Wealth Edit Wednesday. If you haven't been on before, every Wednesday we interview a, an interesting woman that we want to hear all about. And maybe she's a business owner, maybe she just has a cool story. Um, today, we're interviewing co-founder of The Wealth Edit, Emily Lasser. And we did this on purpose today because we have a big announcement at the end of the call that we will share with you um, that, that has to do really was inspired by her story. So anyway, just you're welcome. welcome. Yeah, so Thank you all for being today. here to listen. I'm yeah. excited to share. I know. Okay, so tell us your story. Start from <laughs> the beginning. Oh, goodness. Um, so I grew up in, I'm just going to start where I grew up, just as a quick background, but I grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, went to Auburn, and then went to law school at the University of Alabama. Uh, I got married while I was in law school, so I was married my third year of law school, which was really fun, and my husband was a couple of years behind me in law school, so I that's how we ended up in Birmingham. So he was still in school in Tuscaloosa and we bought our first house in Homewood and I started work in Birmingham and he commuted back and forth. Um, when he graduated from law school two years later, he actually came and worked at the same law firm that I did, which was really fun. People think that's crazy, but it was a good fit, especially for new attorneys because we got to, um, spend time together in a profession that usually you don't see your spouse that much, especially when you're first starting out. So, that was fun. And then um, several years later, had our first daughter, Mary Jane, and then two years later, had Camille. Uh, throughout all that time, I was able to continue to work. I had a great job that let me work two or three days a week, but sort of stayed engaged in the legal practice. I did um, a lot of medical malpractice work with an insurance company. And then, gosh, now I started to believe six years ago, my husband, who was also an attorney, as I said, but also enjoyed flying planes for a hobby um, and did a lot of work in Texas with fly back and forth to his meetings. And on one of those flights, his plane crashed and he died. And um, obviously it was very unexpected and, and life altering. Um, and so that is kind of where this story that I'm going to share begins. Yeah. Um, at that moment because um, so many times women um, have asked me now looking back like you know what did you do at that moment like did you think that you were going to be okay did you not think you were going to be okay and then how did you make the move forward with a new life um, and so that's kind of where my pivoting journey began because um, thankfully I was blessed that I could stay at home with my girls for a couple of years, which I did, uh, stayed and just focused on them and getting our life back in order didn't work. But on year three, I found myself, um, doing crazy things like being PTO president and, um, <laughs> volunteering for anything and everything. And anybody that would take me, I did it. I was ready to be busy again. And, um, and that was kind of fun because I could feel myself starting to reemerge and wanting to re-engage, but 
I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, so I um, sort of started this journey. I was like, I know I don't want to practice law full time in the traditional sense. Uh, I didn't, I knew being um, a full time attorney was not going to be great for me and what my girls needed. And so I wanted to start thinking outside of the box and figure out where um, I would fit with this new role of being a single mom. And I really was very insecure. I didn't know um, what I had to offer that was outside of the legal profession. And I was insecure about what time I had to give. I wasn't sure like if I was going to be able to juggle it all. I think that was probably my greatest insecurity there. I just felt our, my dad is a financial advisor um, and he and I had worked together to really kind of figure out what my timeline was and how much I needed to make. And I remember telling my dad at the end of the first two years, I said, if I just jump back into a new job full time, the wheels are going to fall off. Mm -hmm. I just, I knew it. Uh, and what I loved about him in that moment was he said, that's fine. You don't have to do it right now. Just keep your eye on the goal though and kind of watch what doors open to help you achieve the goal. And in our case, my goal was I had an income goal. So I knew that um, I needed to make between, and I guess I shouldn't, <laughs> I needed to make between 85,000 and 100,000 to make my budget work and to be able to continue to plan for things um, in the future. And he, he was, that was really concrete. He showed me the math. We looked at my expenses over the past two years and that was what I needed to do. And he said, you know, honestly, you know, the world's your oyster, but that's, that's one of your, um, that's one of your goals. That's probably your main goal and what you're doing. And you know, that was a realistic goal. I did have a law degree. I had made that in the past. So it wasn't like, you know, I had never had a job before and I want to jump in. So that was important. And I understood it was a realistic goal. And so that was probably the number one thing that I used to launch my new step forward or my pivot. So when you, so when you went into it, you said, okay, I've gone from, it's been a big six years. So you've gone from dual to single income. Yep. You kind of took a pause yep. to be with your girls. And then, and you said that was about two years. Yep. So you just kind of became you and your dad, who's a financial advisor, which that was really great that you had someone that you could yeah, oh, talk to. Made the biggest difference. Yeah. So you and your dad, you just kind of studied your finances for a couple of years. Right. And, you know, it's funny, the financial minimalism course that we have um, on the Wealth Edit now very much follows what we did. Really? Yeah. We tracked spending. We looked at what my monthly expenses were, as well as my yearly costs, factoring in things like camp. Do, right. we, do the girls want to go to camp? Can we continue to afford to do that? Um, and then really paid attention to unexpected expenses, like to get a new air conditioning right. like really tried to figure out what my life what that budget looked like and not skimping we didn't just do the monthly we also right. looked at more yearly expenses as well and just kind of keeping if you could the lifestyle that you'd become accustomed to right and um but obviously being careful being careful and it 
was not, I mean, it was definitely maintaining the lifestyle. I was perfectly willing and I have mm-hmm. definitely made adjustments in my spending and um, vacation budgets and stuff like that. But also it was looking forward. Yeah. So it was really teaching me um, how to look into the future, sending the girls to college, my retirement, um, things like that, because so much so I think as when you're in a dual income family and the husband is handling the investments and the wife is paying the bills, which was the case for us and seems to be the case for many, many others, it it was the shift for me was not like understanding our finances on a month to month basis, but understanding the long-term plan. Yeah. And so that was one of the things that my dad really helped me understand was this isn't just about your month to month spending. This is about looking all the way until you're 99. Right. I mean, really. Yeah. Which you just hadn't done before. Which I just couldn't do it. It's just, you hadn't done right. it. Right. It just had not been my priority and it, it didn't feel like it was my, my role in the family. And, um, so that was an interesting shift for me, but you know, in coming up with that salary, we were looking long-term. We weren't just looking at month to month. Right. So for those of you who joined the call, um, Emily lost her spouse about six years ago and we're kind of going through the journey of where she's gone and what she, what steps she took because she took some really great healthy steps and how to kind of work through going from a dual to a single income. Um, And so what she did is she kind of studied her expenses for two years. And then after that, they kind of came up with a number, like what does she need to make in order to keep the lifestyle up that she'd become accustomed to? Of course, she was willing to make changes if she needed to, but could she, could she do that? Could she, could she get to um, get to this number? So tell us about, kind of going out into the world and and needing or needing or wanting to write X amount. Like how did you sort of frame those conversations? What did you, how did you think about different um, options that you had that were available mm-hmm. to you? Well, so it, it really has been an interesting and actually quite humorous journey because I've taken a lot of little, um, I didn't take the interstate to where I am now. Mm-hmm. I, I took the back roads for sure. <laughs> I went the scenic route, and um, but I'm really excited about where I am now because I'm just each stop, even if it wasn't like my long term stop, I learned something along the way. Yeah, that has helped me get to where I am. So um, my first stop was I went to work with a nonprofit. Um, I, they took students to France in the summers, and they offered me the opportunity to bring my girls and to go in the summer and help with that, which was amazing. Amazing. Um, and it was just kind of a fun surprise for me. I love to travel. I always have my, every summer of my life since I was 16, I have created some paths to get out of the country. (laughs) I have, I spent summers in London and in Australia. I called anybody I knew that would take me and I would find a job and go live with them. Um, but that was a really fun adventure for us. And I know people thought I was absolutely crazy for doing this. I mean, all of my closest friends were like, what are you doing? My family, but we just needed an adventure. The girls and I needed that and we needed to get away. Um, 
I have said that my time in France, we did it for three summers, has um, specially equipped us for quarantine. Yeah, because this is exactly what we did in France. <laughs> we didn't see anybody. We ate at the house. We stayed with the people we were with. We made an occasional outing. We went to the grocery store and they never had French grocery stores. They, they don't have anything we wanted. Have Except for wine. Store. They had plenty of Lots wine. of wine. Yeah. Again, very much. <laughs> <laughs> So we did that, and I, after my first summer there, they offered me a job um, full time, and I turned them down. This was actually the summer before I committed to being PTO president. So I came back and did that. The second summer we went, um, they offered me a, a job to be legal counsel, which seems a little crazy, but they were trying to um, establish themselves in France. So I got to dive into that, kind of put my legal hat back on, and that was really fun. And then after that third summer, I, I knew it was time to to get focused. Yeah. I had, you know, been making like $25,000 a yeah. year. It was not going to work. It was not on my long-term plan. But I will say, I again have to give my dad huge credit for this. He was very patient with me finding. Because I would just say, I know what I'm, where I'm going. But right now, this seems like the next right step. It just felt like the next right step for me. Um, maybe I was finding out a little bit about who I was as a single mother. My girls and I had to reconnect on that, um, establish new roles and identities, and it was just a really precious time for us that I will never forget. Okay, so I come back. I know it's time to get busy, and um, I had said that was like at the end of November. I took off for Christmas season, and then I said the day the girls go back to school, I'm going to start making calls. Um, and I think it was about that time was the first time that Lindsay Drew had yeah. introduced us. And we have a mutual friend, and she said, I don't know where, where you are with jobs, but I just want you to talk to Lauren Pearson. She is doing some amazing things, and just something about the two of y'all, I think y'all should connect. And I, during that time, we did connect, and, but you were just starting, were you just leaving Twickenham and yeah. starting in the Birmingham office? And so she wasn't really in a position... I certainly didn't know what I would do for you. I mean, as an attorney, but I just loved making the connection. And I started connecting with people kind of all over town. But I had said that day that the girls went back to school, I was going to really like completely focus my attention on figuring out what I'm going to do next. And I got a job from um, a family friend who needed uh, an attorney to help with some marketing with their insurance company. It seemed like, not at all what I wanted to do, but just the timing of it was wild, and they offered me exactly what I needed to make, and I will pause here and talk about something that I'm working on an article right now that should be up this week, but because my dad and I had spent so much time really looking at my finances and figuring out what I needed to make, when I was in the interview and they asked me specifically how much do you want to make, you know, that question comes up a lot. And, and people sort of like, well, I don't know, you know, what are you offering? Well, I decided at this point, I didn't have anything to lose. I mean, this was not really my dream job. And I absolutely love the people. So I was excited to go work with them. But I knew like, from a, I, I just didn't see myself doing it forever. But I, so I just said, I, I need to make $85,000 a year. And I remember they paused and were like, okay. And then I said, well, and let me tell you why. And I kind of went through exactly what my dad and I had done. And I ended up doing that with almost every single one of my interviews um, from then throughout to where I am now. 
and every single time, um, every offer that I've gotten has been that number or higher. And Which is really important yeah. because I mm -hmm. think sometimes when, you know, men have no problem saying like, I need to make $250,000 a year. I mean, they can just say it and it just like floats off the tongue. Where women, it's like, but I've had babies and I've taken this time off and but, 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 but. And we kind of do that to ourselves because I don't know why we do that, but, but we do. Don't yeah. you think? Oh, absolutely. And that was like, that's what I'm trying to say is I was very insecure. And one of the reasons why this job, this at Capital Strategies really appealed to me was because it was an eight to four job. I could be home with the girls. The salary was right. The benefits were right. It seemed very, very safe. Um, and I was so insecure about what I really had to offer that that was very appealing. Right. Because again, I was, oh no, I'm going to be at work five days a week. Who's going to be doing the stuff at home that needs to get done? You know, the girls thankfully are older. Um, they're 15 and 13 now. So that, you know, they were, yeah, but I mean, they, they could walk home from school or carpool and be home for 15 or 20 minutes until I got there. So, but I just was really insecure about what I had to offer. And yeah. so I took a safe option. Um, and the reason why I say that, and the reason why I'm harping on that is because this is kind of like, you have to build your confidence. Yeah. And thankfully I had that option, you know, life insurance is a good thing. I had like some, some room to wiggle. I didn't have to like immediately make any, you know, right. So I, you know, that, that really kind of each one of these steps was building my company. Yes. That's basically what happened. So, but about three weeks into capital strategies, I, I knew it wasn't the right fit because I was bored. <laughs> I was bored and I thought, okay, well, with safe and predictable comes not so exciting. And I thought, and you're the type of person that steals away every year to like, I like somewhere yeah, in I like to like summer in France and do things like that. So, um, which I knew was completely unrealistic. We would never do that again, but still it was fun while it lasted. Um, so what I, I really at that point thought, okay, so here I am in this job, it's, it's predictable, it's structured, it checks my income box. So what's kind of neat about it is it gave me an entire year earning an income and being able to complete my job, but also have a lot of time to really brainstorm about what I wanted to do. And um, this was something that I came to very prayerfully and really started kind of opening my eyes beyond the super predictable and safe mm -hmm. because what I realized at that point was if I am really going to do something that is satisfying to me I have to take a risk yeah and to see like this job that you know was giving you sort of what you needed which is you know predictable income mm -hmm. and taking that and being okay that it's it's a step so it's not forever it's not like you're going to be in a job that wasn't the perfect fit for you forever you can really use the time of the gift right to like plan your next step right which is what you did and that's exactly what i did and i really did have the epiphany though that it might have been the job that was 
like looked good on paper, but for my heart and what I wanted to do, it wasn't the right fit. Right. And I realized, and I had to take a chance. Yeah. Like I had to take a chance on me. Yeah. I had to build my confidence up um, and decide, you know, okay, well, what do I want to do? Right. Really, the, you know, just let's just look out and see. And so one of the things that was happening kind of simultaneously during this time was I had um, a group of widows that we had, um, you know, just through word of mouth gotten together. We would text each other. We had a text chain and, you know, people would, you know, maybe ask questions about if they were having a hard time with one of their children or let's say somebody was trying to figure out what type of health insurance they should get on now that they weren't on their spouse's insurance or how to get a new will, who they were using, those kind of things. And so I was answering a lot of those questions. I mean, so many estate planning questions are legally related. Um, but then some of the more like technical financial questions I was texting to my dad, he was answering in them and then I was sending them back. And in those conversations and, you know, just meeting up with people, I was asking them, well, tell me what your financial advisor is telling you. Like, how are they serving you? Right. And they would say, well, they don't do anything. They just invest the money. And I was like, wait, what? And of course, I'm like, well, my financial advisor is my dad, but I kind of think that this is what he does with all his clients. Why are their advisors not doing the same thing? And so I decided, oh, I've got this great idea. While I've got this downtime kind of at work, I'm going to start reaching out to other advisors and ask them if maybe they would be willing to set up like a volunteer program where advisors would meet with a widow or even somebody that was newly divorced, hear their situation, and then if they weren't the right fit, send them to somebody who was. Because what I was realizing just on the surface was financial advisors are not all the same. They're different practices, offer different services, and what might be a good fit for one person might not be a good fit for another. So somebody who had no life insurance will have different needs than somebody who had a ton of life insurance and then all the spectrum in the middle. And so I just started reaching out to different advisors that I knew in town and said, hey, would you be willing to talk to me? I've got this idea for widows. And then just the, the most interesting thing <laughs> started to happen. So I started to meet with them. And um, one of the first ones that I met with when I got to the office, she had brought in like her partner, their um, marketing director, their IT guy, and they were all, and I was like, wow, these people are really thinking seriously, this might be a fantastic idea. I'm so proud of myself. Um, and of course, in my mind, I was thinking, oh, maybe we could start a nonprofit that funds, you know, again, I really don't even know that much about the business. I mean, I know a lot just because my dad was an advisor or is an advisor in Montgomery or you know, just having different friends and ha understanding like the legal side of it, but I didn't really understand all the ins and outs. And at that first um, meeting, they asked me if I would consider coming to work for them. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? I don't do this. This is, that's crazy. No. And then um, I think I reached back out to you at that point because I was like, Lauren, I know this is what you do. Like, hear me out, hear what I want to do and tell me why these people would be offering me a job. I don't understand. And you were so encouraging. You're like, no, you totally need to do this. Yeah. Um, and it was 4th of July weekend. I went to the lake to see my parents. And so I sat my dad down and I shared it with him. I was like, are these people crazy? And he said, 
you know what? I actually think that might be a fantastic idea. And can I pause? Yeah. So in the financial advisor ecosystem, only 14% of people who are client facing are women. So it is just completely male dominated. So I'm sure when Emily with her cute self came in, it was like, I have this great idea. People are like, you're hired, you know, that's just what it is. And I, you know, it's, it's such a huge need. Yeah. In our industry. Well, it's funny. In one of the interviews, uh, this was with a firm that really takes only very high end clients. I, I knew in my heart that that was probably not the best fit for me at this point in my interviewing because I knew I wanted to serve everyday women that I wasn't looking to serve only the ultra rich, but they, um, I, I asked this, the like managing partner, I said, Hey, he offered me a job, like kind of, um, you know, this one. I was like, Hey, can I ask you a question? Like why in the world? Right. Why, why do you want to hire me? It's like, it makes no sense. <laughs> and they kind of laughed and were like a little taken aback that this person, they, they just offered this job. And, he said, well, I'll be honest with you. He said, one, you're a female and we have no females in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, two, you're an attorney. So we know that you already know most of everything that we know and you can learn the rest. Mm-hmm. And three, you're a widow. And he said, we all strive to connect with the widow community. And he said, we, we want to serve women and widows well for all the obvious reasons, but also just from a business perspective, uh, widows were about to own over half the wealth in the United States, just based on, I guess it's called the great wealth transfer and the baby boomers are dying and their wives are outliving them. And so I thought, oh wow, like this is not only, not only are they loving me, but (laughs) this is a real business decision. And I, and I think it was at that point that I decided, okay, I'm actually, I, I'm going to really consider making this move. Yeah. And that was, that was a really huge step or leap of faith for me and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because it isn't as safe and explain why. Well, it wasn't safe one, because I had, I, I have had to go back to school. Yeah. I've had to learn. Um, two, I have to market myself and what I can offer my clients. And I have never had to do that before. And how does that feel? It's awful. Yeah, it's, it's awful. absolutely awful. It but awful. the cool thing about it is when you feel really passionate about what you are doing and you really see the need, like there's nothing that makes me more excited now when I can get in front of somebody and say, I can help you. And not only can I help you just with all the financial side of it, I really want to help you like rethink your future yeah. and empower you to like make a move that maybe you would have never made before. Like not only invest in the markets and with your money, but invest in yourself. Right. And I know we had a conversation um, with somebody last week and I love being able to say this to her, but like your biggest asset is yourself. Absolutely. Um, and this, she just has so much to offer. And I was just so excited that um we could say that to her and just to sort of watch that spark in her eye like when she's realizing like you know i really i really can do something i can do something exciting anyway that that has just been like so fun because now what i have found is you know originally i thought the safe 
was where I needed to be. Right. And now what I'm finding is this uncomfortable, like pushing myself is really what's like providing so much joy and um, life right. again. And even though it's not pretty, I think people that have like walked this journey with me have been probably talking about it on the back. <laughs> thinking what is she doing like why is she making these choices but um I think now that they're starting to see oh wait each step was just one step closer to finding like where she really fits and I think that that's the thing as that that I've seen so I've been in private practice for 13 years with clients lots of women and um and emily's finding this too is it's that confidence gap like that's why we created the, the wealth edit and also because and this is why we have glide pads because emily and i like we're great friends you know if you were having one with both of us like you would not know that we had different stories you know but, but our financial stories could not be more different and that's the thing is like we just really are so passionate about women finding like okay so what even you know, working part-time for six years. Okay. Well, like, what do you want to do? And like, let's help you get there and instill the confidence where you can ask for 75, 150, 350,000 a year. I mean, I don't know what your skill set is or your goals or why you need it, but figuring out why you need it and making a case for yourself. It's, it is men have been doing that for centuries. So we just need to do it too and, and learn to have some kind of comfortable language around how that happens. But anyway, so yeah, it's very exciting. All right, I'm going to open up for questions for a few minutes, and then we do have something that we want to tell y'all because uh, in in the nature of this story, which is just thank you for sharing so vulnerably, and also it's just such helpful information to so many people. And maybe it's not helpful today, but maybe if you lose your spouse five years from now, 10, 15, 20 years from now, you're like, oh, I remember. This is something that I know about. So um, anyway, if you, oh, did you have now, something? Just, and thank you to Lauren, because mm -hmm. she's one of those people that took the chance on me. Well, we, so thank you. you're welcome. We would, I'm super excited to be part of all this and excited about the wealth that it, and what it has to offer. I, I just really, this is like, it's so cool how we've been brought together because Lauren was already working on this and has allowed me to jump on board and just be a part and it's just, so fun to watch the where my heart started two or three years ago to like all of a sudden be here and y'all know that I must really feel passionate about it if I'm on a Zoom call. Sure. <laughs> I social media, I, but I am working so hard to embrace it. We decided that like the ultimate sacrifice for your business or what you want to push out there is like to turn the camera on yourself. Oh, it is not fun. <laughs> it is just the worst. All right. So, um, let, if you have a question for Emily, just unmute your line or there's a little chat feature. Um, we'll just open it up for a couple minutes. I'm sorry about my children in the background, but it's just the way it goes. Okay, no questions. Is there, sorry, is there a, um, aside from writing down your monthly, your, you know, the 14 days writing down your expenses and then um, progressing that to your monthly, um, it's a little daunting for me because, you know, during this, I'm like, oh, I need to support this business. Oh, I need to um, go buy this. I feel like I'm actually spending more money right now than typical. Or maybe I'm just realizing more, I don't know. But um, is there a, um, I guess, way to know when you're 
buying like these frivolous things or if it's actually a good thing or um, I guess maybe even like a spreadsheet for, you know, this is kind of where you should be at. Is that, that might be a loaded question. Yeah, no, it's not because that, that has been really hard for me, especially because um, I'm going to just use summer camp as an example because I'm sure a lot of us have had to make that decision. I'll never forget that first year we had signed, I had signed both of my girls up to go to camp and Joe died in February. So March was the deadline for making the final payment and, you know, you could cancel and get your money back. And so, you know, I, I was, can I afford this? I, I don't know. And um, I remember sitting down with my dad and he was like, yes, it's fine. Like, just go ahead. Don't <laughs> take that away from the girls. You know, so we had to weigh that out. And then um, going forward after that, two things here is one, give yourself some grace. I mean, it's, it, there are going to be some things that are just important to you and you make that choice to invest in them. And they're just, they're, it is the way it is. Um, and so for me, a lot of times that was making the decision, okay, it's really important to me that we go on a vacation. It's less important to me that we have all the best clothes on all the time. I mean, you know, so for me, a wardrobe, I'd rather skimp and wear the same thing over and over again and go on a really great vacation. So that was really helpful for me. I, I had to say, okay, I'm gonna spend on this so I can, and so I can't spend on this. But then I also did, um, I think really kind of maybe bucket budgeting is a word that I like to use with that. So I tried to keep my spending within my month um, if whatever was deposited in my bank account. I worked really hard to get a number where that went into my bank account. And when I didn't, when I was, when that was getting low, I pulled back my spending for the month. Um, that was helpful for me. It was just like a really concrete visual. Um, so, but that allowed me to say, you know, I don't want to spend, I'm not going to spend, like maybe we're not going to eat out this week because I know next week we're, gonna blow it out with this yeah and that helped me that one month picture rather than trying to look at it as a year or 10 years was really really helpful um but it is a little daunting but i would just really encourage you to give yourself grace because it is definitely a marathon on sprint yeah and you just get a little bit better every time and that's the same thing with you know maybe your first negotiation if your negotiating for yourself doesn't go that great okay yeah next one will go yeah, better listen, you know what i mean yeah, <laughs> like the first one's for sure going to be a bus. Yeah. And then the next one, it'll go, it'll go yeah. and have a sense of humor. Yeah, because <laughs> you got to live a lot. Exactly. And um, and then let me see. There is. Let me see if there's. Oh, what do you wish that you'd done prior to your husband's death to prepare financially? Oh, that's a good question. That is Thank a asking that. fantastic question. Um. So I, like I told y'all, I did pay the bills, but I wish that I had taken a more active role in thinking through our long-term plan. Yeah. I really, I, you know, I just thought, well, he's got it. He understands. And I wish and I had very been. much part of Southern culture to feel that way. Yes. It's almost like tied to masculinity to take care mm -hmm. of the bag and tied to femininity in some way to like, you know, know that someone else is handling that in some mm -hmm. ways, you know, like you see, I, I see this so much, we see this so much, right. that it's hard to, it's a delicate thing, and, and it is. specifically, maybe everywhere, but we just live in the South. 
and, and maybe I shouldn't say this, I'm sorry guys for saying this, but Job is not like the most detailed person. <laughs> he really wasn't. He was like a nutty professor and he was so smart and number one in his wealth class and like what? But like when it came down to the details, he was so busy like thinking about his business. That was not, and I allowed that to happen. Um, and I wish that I had been like, you know what, I got this. Because I really would have been better suited to handle it from the get-go. Right. And I didn't, and it wasn't that it was a, it wasn't even an issue with us. Like I never even thought, you know, I should like insert myself here. Right. And I, I wish I had more confidence to say, you know what, I will take that off your plate. I will also interject, since I just kind of threw him under the bus a little bit, <laughs> that I would be so kind if he came back and I knew he was working so hard to provide for our family because being in the role of being the sole provider for your family is, is a big deal and it's hard and um, I love our husbands for doing that yeah. for those of us that have that um, and I also love the women that are taking on that role and I applaud those who are stepping in with their husbands and truly understanding what they're doing yeah. and supporting them because yeah. it's hard it's hard so. she's gonna make me cry so that's she <laughs> pretty much daily um and i you know i mean i think what would you say has in those first few days and that's my last question i know we're going over but it's just such an important call today and we have there's so many we'll have emily talk again because there's just so many things to know about but I remember, and my mom is on the call, hi mom, um, but my mom was on the call today, but I remember when my grandmother, her mother passed away, and this is just so sweet, these roles were like, she thought because he was gone, that there was like, no more money, you know, and so those first days, like the first days after a tragedy, you know, maybe mm -hmm. you're getting divorced, you find it really good, you're finding out, you lost your parents and you have to do this. What what would you say? Like, what would you say to, to us in those first couple of days after? Um, gosh, <laughs> that, that's for another hour. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I would say get your team. Mm -hmm. Get a team in place. So if you and your spouse have an advisor, get to know them now. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like them, shop it around because you that, person's very, that person is very very important and um there really are those of us that do so much more than just invest the money like my dad and um we had another family friend that helped and they walked alongside me for every bit of it um and i so appreciated that because even though I really like understood the concepts of everything I was doing, I needed somebody to say, hey, Emily, today, um, I know it's just been a week since your husband died, but we've already been talking to the attorney and they've got a new will for you to sign because we need to sign it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the next week, hey, we've got the new life insurance. Um, the nurse is coming over to do. I mean, just kept it moving so, so, that, that, so that I could grieve. But I also, there was a piece that came with that because I knew I was getting stuff done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's kind of like, you know, that like feeling when you're, I know I need to go on a diet. I don't want to go on a diet. And it kind of like hangs over your head. Then when you start, you're like, okay, well, that's so good. This is great. It was kind of like that, but it was like forced, you know, mm -hmm. but I thought, okay, I know I'm grieving. I know this is awful, but like, okay, I've got my team in place. 
I've got my people that are taking care of me. Mm -hmm. And just as an aside, it really doesn't have anything to do with finances, but let other people help you. Mm -hmm. Let them help you. And not only does it help you, it also helps them. Mm -hmm. And it has just been such a, some of my sweetest relationships have formed by allowing people into my life to help me. And it has been such a blessing. And those of my friends that I had before that have walked this journey with me are such, they're so dear. And they're so much a part of who we are in our lives that I wouldn't trade it. Yeah, no, we wouldn't. Thank you for joining us for the Wealth Edit Podcast. If you want to learn more about our community, go to www.wealthedit.com.